We're spending the summer looking at 1 Peter because the urgency that he learned from Jesus and the Holy Spirit's leading of him serves us well as followers of Christ. We're in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. I am. In the verses right before these, um, that we looked at last week, Peter again calls followers of Christ sojourners and exiles. And sojourners learn. A sojourner is one who's visiting another place, but a Christ-following sojourner is one who visits a place and is for it. And I wonder why you're watching right now. Maybe you're just used to church. You've always done it. Maybe this is the first time in a while. Maybe because of, of COVID and the number of churches that are now broadcasting, you're, you're exploring and thinking. Maybe you've been a long-time follower of Christ, and you have a whole bunch of really good scriptural reasons for coming to church. But it's not only a good question, it's a good question to ask the Lord for help with. Why are you watching? Or participating? Those of you that are helping lead worship, thank you, by the way. Why are you here? I hope, I hope, I hope, not only that you have good reasons and that you remember them often, but I hope it has something to do with verse 16. I hope that you long to live as a person who is free. I hope that you believe that Christ has purchased your freedom. I hope you have an emotional reaction to that. I hope you can sense it in your entire being that Jesus has purchased freedom for you and you long to live as a person who's free. You don't really learn from me. My goal isn't to teach you. My goal is to open the scriptures and help all of us to be gripped by the grace and mercy and truth in them, to lean into it, to let it wash over us and speak to our souls so that we might live as people who are free. These passages really aren't for the faint of heart, and when we take them out of context, as they have been taken out of context for centuries, harm can be done. These passages are not for religious people. They're not for people that want to have a little bit of religiousness in their life, a little bit of of faith, kind of interested in holy texts. But for those of us that are Christ followers, these words guide us into lives 
of life. And Peter is fully expecting that you remember chapters 1 and and the first part of chapter 2 as he gets into the, the application of the letter. Like any preacher, he talks about the promises of God. He talks about the covenants, the covenant of grace that God made with his people. He talks about being born again, being ransomed from futile ways into life. He talks about Jesus as the living stone who then calls us to be living stones. And now he's going to start describing what that actually looks like. And when you hear the word sojourner, the full expectation of the Old and the New Testament is that the followers of God have no place in this world that they give their full and complete allegiance to. And part of the reason is, because it's true, our citizenship is in heaven, it's in chapter 1, although heaven and earth will come together and we will have a true home here with work that isn't stained by the curse, with food that fills us without overfilling us, with good drink, with Christ, without the presence of sin and death. But for now, we're a sojourner, and a Jesus follower sojourner is a visitor whose purpose is to bring the shalom of God with them everywhere that they go. I watched a 90-second video yesterday, and I felt nervous reposting a 90-second video of a pastor I've never heard of, but two pastors that I respect a great deal said that it was awesome, so I watched it, and it's amazing. And he said, followers, of it's a 90-second summary of, the Christi- of Christianity, and he says, followers of Christ receive and then bring with them the light and the life and the love of God. We don't have any of those things without him. And yet because of his pursuing love that we sang about, and hopefully that we believe and are gripped by, we not only receive light and life and love, we bring it with us wherever we are. That's why Peter continues to say sojourners and exiles so often. I think we kind of think of sojourning or exile like in a bad way. You know, like the breakfast club. Dating myself, my fondness for the breakfast club. But, you know, when they were in, the, in, the, uh, in detention, they destroyed that library. It's one of John Hughes' biggest regrets in the film is how much they destroyed the library. Christians are to do the opposite. When we end up in places we don't want to be or places we do want to be, we're still to consider ourselves sojourners. We're visitors there, and our visiting is for blessing the place. We are expected to bless the place that we're in by receiving, by by being ransomed by Christ and then living as a free person there. And the first way that... Peter discusses most at length in this passage is to honor. And man, this is, <laughs> this is a fun time to talk about being subject to the emperor and to governors, isn't it? Isn't it a fun time to talk politics? <laughs> How many politicians do you pray for? I'm curious. One of the things that this year has taught me, it's been like a, a mini civics lesson in terms of uh, the importance of local government. A lot of the things that are being argued about and, and um, debated are more local issues than they are national ones, though social media would try and convince us that national is all that matters. How many politicians do you pray for? One of my favorite things about our nine o'clock service up in the hayloft 
is a couple of lifelong Democrats and a couple of lifelong Republicans who prayed in 2014 and 2015 the same way they prayed in 2017 and 2018. How many politicians do you pray for? Do you pray for them as often as you read about them and scroll through messages about them? Christians are commanded to walk a line in a number of ways. Honor is, and I think the Bible defines honor differently than, sometimes, than our culture does. Christians are commanded to honor everyone and the emperor. Peter spends a lot of time talking about this. He makes an analogy. The word as is really, really important in verse 14, and it keeps us walking the line that Christians are called to walk with respect to these things, with respect to all human institutions. As is a metaphor. You see, though God knows everyone who's ever been elected, and though God utilizes everyone who's ever been elected to any kind of office in any kind of government for his ultimate purposes, they are not sent by him to punish those who do, good, who do evil and to praise those who do good. We're to honor them as though they are. See the metaphor? We're supposed to honor them, which means not obey. Honor doesn't mean obey. It doesn't mean celebrate or hate to a certain extent. Celebrate to a certain extent, like don't over-celebrate. And it certainly doesn't mean to hate them. This is Peter talking about to Christians about their life in the world at a time when Christians had almost no power to speak of in most cities. And this is his way of saying the apostle, what, what the Apostle Paul describes as, uh, should I sin the more, the grace abound the more. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes people come to Christ and they recognize that their sins are forgiven and that is a full and completed action. So then they're like, I can just live however I want. And the New Testament is so interesting in the many ways that it argues and explains this because, yes, you are entirely free from sin forever. Not from the presence of it yet, though eventually. Not from, uh, right, not from the presence of it, but from the power of it. So what do we do? Then we live like that. So this is Peter's ex- explanation because what was happening was all throughout the Roman Empire— uh, which the Rome was over all of the areas that Peter references in chapter 1 when he describes the cities, frankly, and areas, some even larger than cities, the Christians that he's writing to. Rome was over all of that. And Christians and Jews were getting bad reputations for uh, rejecting local and empire authority. And it was harming their witness, and it wasn't honoring God. And so Peter saying, in light of the grace given to you, in light of the fact that you're ransomed, in light of the fact that you're called a holy people, act like it by honoring those in authority over you. What Christians do with those in authority over us is we accept the space that they occupy, and we're for them even if we're against them. Do you know what I mean by that? We're for everyone in power, even if we disagree with everything they say or do. We can be for their flourishing. We can pray for them. We can speak with respect, even if we despise their policies. Because sometimes our celebration and our hatred display an idolatry that we are freed from in Christ. 
They will not have the last word. So sojourners learn to honor civic authorities, and they learn to love. You can probably tell that my sermon is strongly affected by verse 17 because verse 17 is full of very direct, clear commands that all rest on the promises of God from chapter 1 and chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. In light of being rescued, in light of being born again, in light of being called a chosen people, in light of the fact that we once had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy, we learn to love. This is not surprising, and yet it's repeated over and over and over throughout the Bible because we need to continue to grow up in love. For who? The brotherhood, the community of the church. That's not, they're not the only people that we love. Jesus teaches us to love neighbor, teaches us to love enemy. But he also teaches us to do, to learn, to do community with one another and to learn to do community with one another. And I wonder, and we sang about this a little bit, it's beautiful. I love when the songs and the sermon come together, even though you didn't really know much about my sermon before picking the songs. Right? <laughs> I would be, I would be, but you're right. It's fun to have people up on the stage with me. I wasn't sure how it would go. How do you feel like it's going, Olivia? I feel like it's going okay. Sure. <laughs> you didn't know they were up here because of the way the cameras work. I wonder what's blocking your experience of your freedom. And I'll explain why I'm asking this question in a moment. But I wonder, have you thought about it? Has someone helped you see perhaps a lie or a resolution that you've made that's blocking the enjoyment of the freedom that Christ purchased for you? Is there something that you've never told anyone? Or you've told one or two people and they handled it poorly that brings you shame or fear or disproportionate anger? Is there an addiction issue? What is it? What's blocking you from living as a person who is free? One of the ways that we learn the lies that we've come under, one of the ways that we learn to enjoy our freedom is actually through community, through learning to love those that God has put into our spiritual family, learning to love the brotherhood, the gathering. I hope and pray that you have people that you can hear them and they can hear you actually talk about some of these things. I hope that you have people that accept you. I hope that you have people that know how to simply sit with you when you're down or when circumstances have been really bad. I hope that you have people that challenge you, actually call you on your stuff. I hope that you have people that are willing to laugh with you or able to laugh with you and actually at you when you make a mistake. Hope that you have people that you pray with. They, let, they ask you to pray for them. One of the ways that we grow into our freedom is by accepting the community that God has for us. And it needs to be a group smaller than 10. There's good psychology that if the group's larger than that, somebody won't talk. They won't actually 
be known in the community. I know it's risky. I do, I do, I do. (laughs) Believe me, I've heard a lot of stories about how bad community can be at times. And yet it is there for us to learn to live as people who are free. There it is in verse 16. Live as people who are free. How? Well, look at the commands. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. I know you can't just create community if you don't have it tomorrow, but I, knew, I, but I also know that you can take one step this week. And I know you're sick of Zoom, and I know you're sick of social and, and physical distancing. I also know you need community to live as someone who's free. Take a step. Think about it. Pray about it. And then take a step towards community, towards wise, risky but worth it friendship among the spiritual family God has called you into. Sojourners learn to honor and to love and to fear. You know, I think uh, I don't love... Oh boy, see, there's the calling stuff. Oh boy, it's fine. I think that our culture doesn't love the word fear partially because we don't define it biblically but also because we kind of believe that like a fully actualized person doesn't experience fear and like that's what it means to be fully human. And yet fear is part of life. Fear is part of wisdom. Fear is part of our head and our emotions and even our body. I drove a lot on Thursday and on Friday and when you see a semi swerve quickly, it's at least a little bit scary for a good reason. And you're supposed to react or not to that, Right? I used to kind of over-explain fear when I would preach it, and I now believe that was a mistake. Like, over-explain it as in explain it away. Like, it's just awe. No, it's not. Intellectually, if God exists and you're not him, some amount of that intellectual assessment is scary. I was thinking about it emotionally. What does fear have to do with emotion? You know who scares me, honestly? My children and my wife. Not because they're scary, though sometimes they're scary in how they act, but because I love them so much. And knowing that circumstantially that love could be taken away or harmed actually causes me some amount of fear, and that fear is part of affection. We're aware of some aspects of the curse, of the effects of sin and death in the world, That leads us to fear. And in our fear, we worship God. We confess our sins to him. We receive his love and guidance. So what do sojourners, exiles, followers of Jesus learn to do in this world? In light of the fact that we're born again, verse 3 and verse 23 from chapter 1, in light of the fact that we've been ransomed from futile ways into real life, in light of the fact that because of the living stone, we are now living stones. We learn to honor everyone and those in civic authority over us. We learn to love and do community with those that God has called us to do community with spiritually. We learn to fear, not to feel afraid all the time, but to, fear, to be in awe of the fact that a holy, righteous, loving God did all this for us, that we might have union with him. That causes us both awe and some amount of fear 
among other things, because we don't fully understand it. We long to be gripped by it and to understand it as best we can. We don't fully understand it. Okay, so I have no idea how clear that sermon is. I have no idea whether you already knew First Peter really well and this was an encouragement or whether I've helped you understand it better. Here's what I do know. Look again at verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Let's go back to the beginning of it. Live as people who are free. If nothing else in the sermon mattered to you or encouraged you, or, if you, or even if it did, take the first part of that verse and pray it this week. Write it down and pray it. Lord, help me to live as someone who is free. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I believe, help my unbelief, help me to live as one who is free. Because you are. Would you pray with me? Father, we believe. Help our unbelief. Father, guide us into wise and good honor and love and fear. Holy Spirit, speak to our souls. Strengthen and embolden them to live as people who are free. Uncover our blind spots, sinful tendencies, addictions, lies we believe, that we might move into the freedom your Son purchased for us. In light of your amazing grace, Lord, help us to live as people who are free. Amen.